Now, while a meditator is engaged in the pursuit of virtue, he should set about understanding the ascetic practices in order to perfect those special qualities, a fewness of wishes, contentment, etc., by which the virtue of the kind already described is cleansed. For when his virtue is thus washed clean of the stains by the waters of such special qualities as fewness of wishes, contentment, effacement, seclusion, dispersal, energy, and modest needs, it will become quite purified, and his vows will succeed as well. And so, when his whole behavior has been purified by the special quality of blameless virtue and vows, and he has become established in the first three of the ancient noble one's heritages, he may become worthy to attain the fourth called delight in development. We shall therefore begin to begin the explanation of the ascetic practices. Okay, so just um, just as a note here, we're going to get into some fairly uh, detailed explanations of practices that are, for the most part, monastic practices. So uh, you'll have to bear with us once we get past a lot of this stuff on morality. It is still you should find it quite interesting, although a little bit inapplicable for many of us. Um, but after this, it, it should get a little bit more relevant to everyday meditators. But you know, that's the thing about this whole text, is it is quite monastic, so just have to bear with it. And, and in many ways, it acts as a ideal sort of example for us to adapt, rather than something we should ever hope to emulate, those of us who are not monastics. Thank you, Bhante. And um, I just wanted to note there's several uh, folks who are muted today. So it looks like the readers will be Brenna, myself, and Bhante. The 13 Kinds of Ascetic Practice 13 kinds of ascetic practices have been allowed by the Blessed One to clansmen who have given up the things of the flesh and regardless of body and life are desirous of undertaking a practice in conformity with their aim. They are the refuse rag wearer's practice, the triple robe wearer's practice, the alms food eater's practice, the house-to-house -house seeker's practice, the one sessioner's practice, the bowl food eater's practice, the later food refuser's practice, the forest dweller's practice, the tree root dweller's practice, the open air dweller's practice, the charnel ground dweller's practice, the any-bed-user's practice, the sitter's practice. So these um, 13 dutangas are still practiced in many Buddhist countries by monastics. And you know, as to how you practice and why and when, it's all explained. But... Um, many of these are found described by the Buddha. There's never, I think, a list of 13 in the Tipitaka, but they are mentioned. Many of them are mentioned explicitly in lists, but smaller lists. Um, and so this this is sort of the final list that came out of the, the Theravada tradition. But much of it is in the Tipitaka. So, herein, as to meaning, characteristic, etc., the undertaking and directions, and then the grade and breach as well, and benefits of each besides, as to the profitable triad, ascetic and so on, distinguished, and as to groups, and also singly, the exposition should be known. So this is our table of contents for this section just as with last section there was a list like this and then he explained them all it's going to go through these seven things in order that's the table of contents for this chapter the word dutanga relates to the practice of tudong right <laughs> the word tudong is a corruption of the word dutanga in thai the d's become t's and the t's become d's and the a on the end is always chopped off
Herein, as to meaning in the first place, it is refuse pamsukala since, owing to its being found on refuse in any such place as a street, a charnel ground, or a midden, it belongs, as it were, to the refuse in the sense of being dumped in any one of these places, or alternatively, like refuse, it gets to a vile state. Thus, it is refuse pamsukala, it goes to a vile state, is what is meant. The wear, the wearing of a refuse rag which has acquired its deriv derivative name in this way is refuse rag wearing pamsukala. That is this, that is his habit, thus he is a refuse rag wearer, pamsukalika, the practice anga of the refuse rag wearer is the refuse rag wearer's practice, pamsukulikanga. Uh, it is the action that is called the practice. Therefore, it should be understood as a term for that is by understanding which one becomes a refuse rag wearer. In the same way, he has the habit of wearing the triple robe, tichivara, in the other words, the cloak of patches, the upper garment, and the inner clothing. Thus, he is a triple robe wearer, tichivarika. His practice is called the triple robe wearer's practice. The dropping of the lumps of material substance, called alms, is alms food. The falling into the bowl of lumps, given by others, is what is meant. He gleans that alms food, that falling of lumps. He seeks it by approaching such and such a family. Thus he is called an alms food eater. Or his vow is to gather the lump, thus he is a lump gatherer. To gather is to wander for. A lump gatherer is the same as an alms food eater. The practice of the alms food eater is the alms food eater's practice. It is a hiatus that is called a gap. It is removed from a gap, thus it is called gapless. The meaning is it is without hiatus. It is together with what is gapless, thus it is with the gapless, devoid of hiatus. So this is, uh, here's a derivation of the word sapadana, which means from house to house is what is meant. His habit is to wander on what is with the gapless. Thus, he is a gapless wanderer. A gapless wanderer is the same as a house-to-house -house seeker. His practice is the house-to-house -house seeker's practice. That's maybe a bit confusing. What it means is not skipping houses, so no gaps. He's very thorough. This is the commentaries. Very useful as reference. Yeah, definitely. Eating in one session is one session. He has that habit, thus he has thus he is a one sessioner. His practice is the one sessioner's practice. Alms in one bowl, only because of refusing a second vessel, is bull alms. Now, making bull alms the name for the taking of alms food in the bull. Bull alms food is this habit. Thus, he is a bull food eater. His practice is the bull food eater's practice. No is a particle in the sense of refusing. Food obtained later by one who has shown that he is satisfied is called later food. The eating of that later food is later eating. Making later food the name for that later food eating. Later food is his habit. Thus he is a later food eater. Not a later food eater is a no later food eater. That is a later food refuser. That is the name for one who as an undertaking refuses extra food. But it, but it is said in the commentary, Kula is a certain kind of bird. When it has taken a fruit in its beak, and that drops, it does not eat any more. This bhikkhu is like that, thus he is a later food refuser. His practice is the later food refuser's practice. Here we, ha here we have a reference to the commentary, and you'll see in the note he refers to the Sinhalese commentary which is kind of interesting. We don't have those commentaries, and this is what he was supposed to have been drawing on to make this text. 
but the idea is that these were these old commentaries and his whole purpose in going to Sri Lanka was to get these commentaries and bring them translate them into Pali uh, to keep them in the original language but they wouldn't let him do it until he composed the Visuddhimagga as sort of a a test to make sure he was he knew what he was doing or it's like a sort of a task in order to give him the permission to to use the commentaries um Is that finished? Where did we get to? Uh, you're on nine. Okay, so we're not done. Uh, his habit is dwelling in the forest, thus he is a forest dweller. His practice is the forest dweller's practice. Dwelling at the root of a tree is tree root dwelling. He has the habit, thus he is a tree root dweller. The practice of the tree root dweller is the tree root dweller's practice. Likewise with the open air dweller and the charnel ground dweller. Only what has been distributed is as distributed. This is a term for the resting place first allotted thus. This one falls to you. He has the habit of dwelling in that as distributed. Thus he is an distributed user. That is, an any-bed user. His practice is the any-bed user's practice. He has the habit of keeping to the sitting posture when resting. Refusing to lie down, thus he is a sitter. His practice is the sitter's practice. Okay, so these are the 13 practices. Just just another note, to, just to be clear, these are optional practices. So some monks may go without ever undertaking them. The other thing is they are, they are specific practices. You'll see later on they are practices that are intentionally undertaken. So many monks will will fall under many if not all of these uh dutangas at a time so it may they may be acting exactly as a person following one of these dutangas would act but they don't have they aren't considered to be keeping the dutanga because they haven't uh, made a determination sort of like a vow to keep it which means that the difference is um, like for myself today, I only had one meal, but tomorrow I might have more than one meal. So today, I could say I'm keeping one of the dutangas, but that wouldn't be correct because it was just by chance. It wasn't by as a part of my vow. So a lot of this is about refusing and you know putting yourself in a specific situation where you you force yourself to uh, let go and to give up because you, you're you're not able to. There's not the potential to to slack off. You know, no matter what happens, I'm going to keep this rule kind of thing. And of course, it's not like that. Anytime you want, you can stop keeping it. And sometimes, as you'll see, there are cases where monks would give it up. But the idea is that it's sort of a vow that someone takes as a, a means of, um, if you want, controlling the environment or uh, forcing the situation. Two words which don't sound very Buddhist, but it's it's as far as we might go in terms of control. We put ourselves in difficult situations and then let go. <laughs> so the Dutanga are practices to deepen the ascetic life? I don't know about deepen the ascetic life, but something like that. They're, they're for the purpose of... Um, fortifying one's determination of cultivating effort and energy of forcing you to to conform because you don't have any other option it's very hard to get greedy when you're keeping all of these tatangas for example or you know it's harder anyway they're, they're a support in that way they close off a lot of the potential loopholes that monks fall into was it Jake Jakupala that became blind because he was refusing to lie down and take his medicine, that kind of thing. Exactly that. He was keeping number 13, the last one there. Habit of keeping to the sitting posture, refusing to lie down. He kept that, that 13th one for three months and became blind as a result. But also... Uh, 
gained sight as well. <laughs> well, yes, and the going blind actually wasn't because of staying three months. The commentary it talks about this. In the past life, he was a doctor, and he prescribed medicine for a woman, cured her blindness, and then she wouldn't pay him. Uh, because she had offered to become his slave and make him earn it, put her and her children into indentured service under him, and then reneged on it, or didn't didn't renege, but she was a, she didn't want to do that, so she pretended that he had made her her eyes worse, and because he knew that he hadn't done that, he had he had actually made her eyes better. He made a new medicine where he uh, put poison in the medicine. And when she put it on her eyes, she really did go blind. And because of that karma, he, in this life, became blind. Thank you, yes. All these, however, are the practices of a bhikkhu who is ascetic because he has shaken off defilement by undertaking one or other of them or the knowledge that has got the name ascetic because it shakes off defilement is a practice belonging to these. Thus they are ascetic practices, or alternatively, they are ascetic because they shake off opposition, and they are practices because they are a way. Because they are a way. This firstly is how the exposition should be known here as to meaning. All of them have as their characteristic the volition of undertaking. For this is said in the commentary, He who does the undertaking is a person. That whereby he does the undertaking is states of consciousness and consciousness concomitants. The volition of the act of undertaking is the ascetic practice. What it rejects is the instance. All have the function of eliminating cupidity, and they manifest themselves with the production of non-cupidity. For their proximate cause, they have the noble states consisting of fewness of wishes, and so on. This is how the exposition should be known as to characteristic, etc. here. As regards the five beginnings with the undertaking and directions, during the Blessed One's lifetime, all ascetic practices should be undertaken in the Blessed One's presence. After his attainment of Nibbana, this should be done in the presence of a principal dis discipline, disciple. When he is not available, it should be done in the presence of one whose kinkers are destroyed, of a non-returner, of a once-returner, of a stream-enterer, of one who knows the three pitakas, of one who knows two of the pitakas, of one who knows one of the Pitakas, of one who knows one collection, of a teacher of the commentaries. When he is not available, it should be done in the presence of an observer of an ascetic practice. When it, he is not available, then after one has swept out the shrine terrace, they can be undertaken seated in a reverential posture, as though pronouncing them in the fully enlightened one's presence. Also, it is permitted to undertake them by oneself. And here should be told the story of the senior of the two brothers who were elders at Chityapabata and their fewness of wishes with respect to the ascetic practices. This firstly is what applies to all the practices. Notice there's no Buddha image. Um, there would be a Bodhi tree. We were just talking about this today. In Canada, they, uh, they 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 brought a Buddha image. Today we went for lunch, and it's a New Year's celebration for the Lao people. And they had a Buddha image, and one of the monks told me they had gotten it at Winner Winners Winners. Is this a store? And uh, this is for people's garden. And so we got into discussion. They were saying people just use it to guard their garden, guard or in a sense like a it's a bad, in, in Thai, it's a fairly disrespectful term, uh, sort of making it seem like a guard dog or something. And I said, well, it's not quite like that. It's more like a decoration. And they said, yeah, they, they don't have any respect for it. I said, well, it's not even that they don't have respect. It's that they don't see it as anything high. Uh, so, so in general, I think they respect it, but 
they just don't hold it very high. And he said, or one of the other ones said, sometimes they make them with an ashtray on the top. <laughs> a Buddha image with an ashtray on top of its head, which, I, which was quite a shock. So in that case, I think it's clear that there is very little or no respect, if that's true. But um, it's an interesting idea, the, the not having a, a Buddha image, not exactly, uh, not quite on topic here, but just something to think about. The, po the point that is on topic is um, that uh, there wasn't a sense of having a Buddha image, but there is the the Bodhi, Bodhi tree. Actually, the Bodhi tree is what the Buddha said could be used as a representative after he passed away. So it's something we consider to be quite holy and quite important. It's just a symbolic, uh, a symbol of enlightenment. Nowadays, of course, they use Buddha images, and it wouldn't be wrong, of course, and that's probably how most people, that is how most people would do this, is uh, sit in front of the Buddha image and take these, which is also how many people will take the precepts and refuges when there's no monk around. <laughs> Notice that it doesn't even say here that it, anything to do with a monk. The point isn't to be an ordained bhikkhu, which... It's an interesting point that many people many people um, depend upon the monks over much, when in fact uh, it should be specifically someone who knows a lot about the practice, and the teachings. But then the final is sort of it's just kind of seems a bit tongue in cheek in a way. You just take them by yourself. Yeah, it was interesting how they went through the whole list. You know. Take take it in the presence of a of a stream enter or you know a non returner, and kind of going down the the pecking order there. But how would how would a person back then have known who was a stream enter or a person today even? How would you know who has attained that that level? Well, monks could talk amongst themselves about such things, um, but it's not necessary that you'd know. It's more this is just the theory, you know, in practice you would have to have a sense rather than actually knowing. And, you know, it, it wouldn't be that hard among the monks to have a sense of who was advanced. Of course you couldn't know. It's interesting, when we get to the, the next part about taking a meditation subject, it, uh, it actually compares the person who has studied a lot with the person who has practiced a lot, and, tend, and it seems to, if I remember correctly, favor the person who has studied a lot because there's a difference between practice and teaching. You know, for teaching, only the Buddha was able to give uh, was able to give meditation subject perfectly for everyone. And so the idea is that a person who has studied a lot can give closer to a, the Buddha. Whereas a person who has become enlightened may not be able to teach very well. It can happen. Even an enlightened being is only able to explain how they became enlightened. And that might be quite different from how another person approaches the teaching. So, I mean, it, it certainly practice is essential for a teacher. And it's um, irreplaceable. But... Uh, there, there is something there about person who's who has studied, or study knowledge being important. And in this case, I think even perhaps more so, even if a person hasn't. And we'll see later. It mentions people who don't practice the ascetic practices, but give them. In this case, much more so than meditation, the the actual technical knowledge is going to be more important. I think than well, it, it, quite important. Uh, in comparison to practice, I'm not. I'm not sh convinced that one need to um, rely upon an enlightened being to take the ascetic practices. It's perhaps more uh, in terms of giving uh, giving encouragement, you know, and the severity of it and the respect that one puts into it will be based on 
who one takes it from. So having taken it from the Buddha, one is much more likely to take it seriously than taking it by oneself or taking it from some ordinary monk who may not be keeping it pure morality themselves. Thank you. Now we shall proceed to comment on the undertaking, directions, grade, breach, and benefits of each one separately. First, the refuse wears the refuse rag wears practice is undertaken with one of these two statements. I refuse robes given by householders, or I undertake the refuse rag wears practice. This firstly is the undertaking. This is actually a little more, there's more significance here than it than it first meets the eye. These actually are the chants that we use in Pali to take these. So so these, these in quotes here, not the first one, we always use the second one in Thailand. Pang sukulikang kang samadhyami. Oh no, we use both. We say, let's see if I And that's the precepts chant for taking the precepts or something. No, this is um, this is different. So we'd say gahapati dana jivarang patikipami patikipami pangsukuli kangang samadhyami. I've never taken that one. That one's hard to take because where are you going to find rag robes these days? Can but uh, you know they. There was one monk who told me he tried to make a rag robe once and he got in big trouble for it because it didn't look anything like the other monk's robes. But uh, I think in uh, in forest monks' communities, especially in well, especially in Thailand, because there are a lot of, ro- a lot of cast-off robes that you could use, but they would still be old monks' robes. I don't think you could go around finding cloth these days that would make suitable monks' robes. Where would you find it? You'd have to go to like a thrift shop and buy a whole bunch of old stuff and cut it into those squares and dye it orange or something. But that's the point is this has to be from from the garbage. So where are you going to find garbage robes, garbage cloth? Yeah, very good point. Anyway, anyway that, that is how you, that's how you would take it is with those, one of those two. Actually, we do both of them. We say one after the other. One who has done this should get a robe of one of the following kinds, one from a charnel ground, one from a shop, a cloth from a street, a cloth from a midden, one from a child bed, an ablution cloth, a cloth from a washing place, one worn going to and returning from the charnel ground, one scorched by fire, one gnawed by cattle, one gnawed by ants, one gnawed by rats, one cut at the end, one cut at the edge, one carried as a flag, a robe from a shrine, an ascetic's robe, one from a consecration, one produced, produced by supernormal powers, one from a highway, one born by the wind, one presented by deities, one from the sea. Taking one of these robe cloths, he should tear off and throw away the weak parts, and then wash the sound parts and make up a robe. He can use it after getting rid of his old robe given by householders. Uh, we'll see. One from a shop doesn't mean buying from a shop. You'll see what it, what all of these mean. He's going to explain them. Herein, one from a charnel ground is one dropped on a charnel ground. One from a shop is one dropped at the floor of a shop. A cloth from a street is a cloth thrown into a street from inside a window by those who seek merit. A cloth from a midden is a cloth thrown onto a place for rubbish. One from a child bed is a cloth thrown away after wiping up the stains of childbirth with it. The mother of Tisa, the minister, it seems, had the stains of childbirth wiped up with a cloth with a hundred pieces and thinking the refuse rag wearers will take it. She had it thrown onto the Talaveli road. Bikus took it for the purpose of mending worn places. So you, you, one thing you can see here from a cloth from the street is this is this is actually one way that we do get rags, robes. I, I 
completely forgot about this aspect of it is that even nowadays monks will get rag robes that are just left um you know in fact now it's become totally ceremonial and and quite quite wrong-headed where people actually come to the monks and offer them rag robes so what they do is they take a tree uh, they uh, they well they take a they go to a tree and cut a branch off of a tree and then they plant it in some sand and um put a robe underneath it and money in the money in the tie money to the branches and, and nowadays what you'll see I've given talks on this before so you have this practice nowadays where people come to the monasteries with uh, trees made out of money so it's a fake tree that has quite beautiful even today they brought one we saw one uh, they offered one today uh, with money dangling from the branches of I think a, a real branch from a tree and underneath it there is a robe and so often they will offer it but if they do it quote-unquote correctly they will have some words that they say where they they offer this rag robe to the set of rag robes to the monks which is not really it's kind of defeating the purpose because you're no longer it's no longer a rag robe so it where that comes from, and no one knows where it comes from anymore. No one really, very few people really understand what it came from. It came from is people wanted to make merit, and the monks wouldn't accept their robes, so they would just take robes and they would hang them from trees. They would go off into the forest and they would find the path where the monks walked, and they would just take a robe and hang it from a low low branch, knowing that the monks would come by and see it and and would have to consider that it was a rag robe because it was thrown away. And that evolved into you know, bringing these fake trees to the monastery, and that evolved into bringing money because the monks weren't as interested in just the robes, or that's not quite fair, but because the lay people wanted to offer money as well. Uh, but really, it shouldn't be offered. You, you shouldn't shouldn't go to that uh, extent of offering. And and so what they do instead is. They, they say they're going to offer it, and then the monk doesn't accept the robe. The monk gets up and goes to the robe and picks it up himself or herself from under the tree. And they make a determination. I've done this before where they say, uh, this robe has no owner, so I take it for myself as a rags robe. There's actually a short chant that you do to make a determination in your mind that this robe hasn't been offered, this robe has no owner. Imani chivarani asamikani. My hung papunati, and these accrue to me because they're ownerless. It's quite interesting, but that's where this comes from—the idea of. So many monks do actually get, technically speaking, rag robes, and you'll see a little bit when he starts talking about this first one. You'll see, he is—you'll uh, see how they explain, um, the how at the very least. You take something that has been placed at your feet but not offered. As soon as it's been offered into your hands, it's no longer a refuse robe. But if someone drops it at your feet, you can still technically consider it to be a cast-off, cast-away cloth. And so technically that's allowable. Not really in the spirit. But... So you could just sort of leave one where someone's definitely going to find it, like on the ground somewhere or something? We did that in Los Angeles one year for my birthday. Uh, when I was in Los Angeles, I decided to give nine robes to nine different monasteries. And so I dragged all my my meditators around, all these Thai meditators around to nine monasteries. And when we got there, they couldn't understand what I was doing because I just took the robe and some other offerings and we just left it. We went to a place where we knew the monks would find it. We just put it there. <laughs> And and halfway through the day, everyone was getting confused. Like, why aren't we calling the monks? And someone said, I'll go call the monks. I said, no, 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 don't call the monks. We have to just put it and leave. And there was confusion and people were, were really, had no, no idea what was going on. And they were trying to put money. So they were saying, you know, how can we offer money to these people? We, we can't really, you know. I mean, first of all, we shouldn't be offering money to monks, but you can't just leave money out somewhere, right? <laughs> and uh, so... 
So halfway through the day, I said, well, let's gather at someone's house or we're gathering at someone's house for lunch. And I said, let me give a talk. And so I explained exactly what what is meant by giving uh, rags robes, rag robes. So yeah, we did that in nine different places. One place, they actually did get the monks and the monk came out <laughs> and he was, he understood it, but it was, he was a little bit uh, you know, kind of confused or wasn't sure what he was supposed to do. Because there we were just leaving the, the robes. He's like, should I give you a blessing? I'm like, no, 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 <laughs> the robes are there. We'll just go now. It's cool. It's like a Buddhist Easter egg hunt a little bit. It certainly could be. An ablution cloth is one that people who are made by devil doctors to bathe, to bathe themselves, including their heads, are accustomed to throw away as a cloth of ill luck. A cloth from washing place is rags thrown away at a washing place where bathing is done. One worn going to and coming from is one that people throw away after they have gone to a charnel ground and returned and bathed. One scorched by fire is one primarily scorched by fire, for people throw that away. One gnawed by cattle, etc., are obvious, for people throw away such as these two. One carried as a flag... Those who board a ship do so after hoisting a flag. It is allowable to take this when they have gone out of sight. Also, it is allowable when the two armies have gone away to take a flag that has been hoisted onto a battlefield. That's interesting. The point is that all of these would be natural cloth and could be dyed again. You know, nowadays you couldn't, obviously, <laughs> you couldn't take a, a synthetic flag and, and wrap it around yourself, but... All of these could be dyed, or the understanding is they could be dyed one dark color and worn as a robe. A robe from a shrine is an offering made by draping a termite mound in cloth. An ascetic's robe is one belonging to a bhikkhu, one from a consecration is one thrown away at the king's consecration place. One produced by supernormal power is a kampiku robe. One from a highway is one dropped in the middle of the road. But one dropped by the owner's negligence should be taken only after waiting a while, because it could still have an owner. One born by the wind is one that falls a long way off, having been carried by the wind. It is allowable to take it if the owners are not in sight. It's understood to have been lost and given up. One presented by deities is one given by deities, like that given to the elder Anuruddha, which was actually a fake uh, refuse rope. This, this angel put it underneath a, a pile of trash with just the corner sticking out. But it actually turned out to be a, a robe from heaven. One from the sea is one washed up on dry lands, dry land by the sea waves. What did he mean by the one produced by supernormal powers is a kambiku robe? So when when a monk is, let me see, certain certain people have such high levels of perfection that the story goes that when they wish to ordain robes and a bowl just appear for them by supernatural powers. So they don't have to go and search for a robe for robes and a bowl. This is um when the Buddha says to them, Kam bhikkhu, ehi bhikkhu, come be a monk. It actually isn't come bhikkhu, it's come well it could be come then monk kind of thing. Come monk. Come be a monk. Thank you. One given thus, we give it to the order, or got by those who go out for alms, cloth is not, refu is not a refused rack. And in the case of one presented by a bhikkhu, one given after it has been got at a presentation of robes by householders, at the end of the reins or a resting place robe, that is, one automatically supplied by a householder to the occupant of a certain resting place, is not a refused rag. It is it a refused it is a refused rag only when given after not having been so obtained. And herein, 
that placed by the donors at a bhikkhu's feet, but given by that bhikkhu to the refused rag-wearer by placing it in his hand, is called pure in one way. That given to a bhikkhu by placing it in his hand, but placed by him at the refused rag-wearer's feet, is, as, is also pure in one way. That which is both placed at a bhikkhu's feet and then given to him in the same way is pure in both ways. One obtained by being placed in the hand and given by being placed in the hand too is not a strict man's robe. So a refuse rag wearer should use a robe after getting to know about the kinds of refuse rags. These are the directions for it in this instance. So again, it's just about forcing yourself by giving you yourself strict boundaries and this is there's a lot of this delineating the exact boundaries so uh, you, know, you kind of wonder whether it's all really necessary you know given that a person intent on keeping these should be clear about the the spirit of the rule but still it's nice to be clear about what you're talking about so this is for sort of pedantic clarity The grades are these. There are three kinds of refuse rag wearers, the strict, the medium, and the mild. Herein, one who takes it only from a charnel ground is strict. One who, one who takes one left by someone thinking one gone forth will take it is medium. One who takes one given by being placed at his feet by a bhikkhu is mild. The moment any one of these, of his own choice or inclination, agrees to accept a robe given by a householder, his ascetic practice is broken. This is a breach in this instance. The benefits are these. He actually practices in conformity with the dependence because of the words, the going forth by depending on the refuse rag robe. He is established in the first of the noble one's heritage. These are the four. Four noble heritages are using alms round, alms food as food, using uh, rag no using rag robes as robes using alms food as food uh, sleep staying at the root of a tree as a shelter and being what's the fourth one it's not medicine it should be but it's not i think can't remember fourth one it's being content, I think. Something to do with being content with whatever one gets. I can't remember. Or something to do with the senses. There is no suffering due to protecting. He exists independent of others. There is no fear of robbers. There is no craving connected with use of robes. It is a requisite suitable for an ascetic. It is a requisite recommended by the Blessed One thus valueless, easy to get, and blameless. It inspires confidence, it produces the fruits of fewness of wishes, etc. The right way is cultivated, a good example is set to later generations. While striving for death's army's root, the ascetic clad in rag-robe clout, got from a rubbish heap, shines bright as mail-clad warrior in the fight. This robe the world's great teacher wore, leaving rare, cussy cloth and more. Of rags from off a rubbish heap, who would not have a robe to keep? Minding the words he did profess when he went into homelessness, let him wear such rags delight as one seems garb bedlight, bedite. This firstly is the commentary on the undertaking, directions, grades, breach, and benefits in the case of the refused rag wearer's practice. Now there, is, now there is the triple robe wearer's practice. This is undertaken with one of the following statements. I refuse a fourth robe, or I undertake the triple robe wearer's practice. When a triple robe wearer has got cloth for a robe, he can put it by for as long as, owing to ill health, he is unable to make it up, or for as long as he does not find a helper, or lacks a needle, etc. And there is no fault in his putting it by but it is not allowed to put it by once it has been dyed. That is called cheating, the ascetic practices. There are, these are the directions for it.
Yeah, sorry, just looking up Aryavamsa, the noble heritage. It's like the fourth one is actually uh, love of meditation. So the first three are the first three requisites, and the fourth one is anyway twenty-four, right? Yes. This too has three grades. Herein, one who is strict should, at the time of dying, first dye either the inner cloth or the upper garment. And having dyed it, he should wear that round the waist and dye the other. Then he can put that on over the shoulder and dye the cloak of patches. But he is not allowed to wear the cloak of patches round the waist. This is the duty when in an abode inside a village. But it is allowable for him in the forest to wash and dye two together. However, he should sit in a place near to the robes so that if he sees anyone, he can pull a yellow cloth over himself. But for the medium one, there is a yellow cloth in the dyeing room for him for use while dyeing, and it is allowable for him to wear that as an inner cloth or to put it on as an upper cloth, upper garment, in order to do the work of dyeing. For the mild one, it is allowable to wear or put on the robes of bhikkhus who are in communion in order to do the work of dyeing. A bread bedspread that remains where it is is allowable for him but he must not take it about him. And it is allowed for him to use from time to time the robes of bhikkhus who are in communion. It is allowed to one who wears the triple robe as an ascetic practice to have a yellow shoulder cloth too as a fourth, but it must only be a span wide and three hands long. The moment any one of these three agrees to accept a fourth robe, his ascetic practice is broken. This is the breach in this instance. The benefits are these. The bhikkhu who is a triple robe wearer is content with the robe as a protection for the body. Hence he goes taking it with him as a bird does its wings and such special qualities as having few undertakings, avoidance of storage of cloth, a frugal existence, the abandoning of greed for many robes, living in efficient by observing moderation even in what is permitted. Production of the fruits of fewness of wishes, etc. are perfected. Hi Richard, welcome. Did you want to read today as well? Um, we're on page 61 on section 26. Hello? Hi. Are you yeah, able to read hey. today? Yeah, sure. All right, 26, right? Yes. All right, no risk of harm haunts the man of wit who wants no extra cloth for requisite. Using the triple robe, where he goes, the ple he goes, the pleasant ready to content he knows. Oh, sorry, you weren't hearing me a while ago, right? Uh, yes, it continues on the next page. Yeah, I know, you heard? Oh, uh, yeah, all right. So, would the Alep wonder on this earth, the knot tells his, but his robes, as flies the bird, with its own wings, then lets him to rejoice. That, that frugalness is in garments by his choice. This is the commentary on the undertaking, direction, grades, breach, and benefits in the case of the triple robe wearer's practice. The alms food eater's practice is Richard, could Richard, we ask Richard to set this uh, push to talk? I think everyone should be set to push to talk. This is a lot better. Yeah, that's, uh, that's I, I took my finger off for a second earlier. So I do think you heard some of what I was saying. But now you're always, we're hearing you all the time. Yeah, I'm holding it now. I'll, I'll take it off right now. Okay, great. The alms food eater's practice is undertaken with one of the following statements. I refuse a supplementary food supply, or I undertake the alms food eater's practice. Now this alms food eater should not accept the following 14 kinds of meal. A meal offered to the order a meal offered to specified bhikkhus, an invitation, a meal given by a ticket, one each half moon day, 
one each Upasatha day, one each first of the half moon, a meal given for visitors, a meal for travelers, a meal for the sick, a meal for sick nurses, sick nurses, a meal supplied to a particular residence, a meal given in a principal house, a meal given in turn. If instead of saying, take a meal given to the order, meals are given saying, the order is taking alms in our house, you may take alms too, it is allowable to consent. Tickets from the order that are not for actual food and also a meal cooked in the monastery are allowable as well. These are the directions for it. It's interesting to note that a meal cooked in the monastery is allowable. It doesn't kind of defeats the purpose of the of going on alms food. But the point is to avoid the whole invitation system where people invite you out for food because it's not bad, it's not wrong. It's just that in many cases for monks it becomes far too much of a burden on their practice to have to uh, travel and to have to engage in in uh, sort of lay society and also to coordinate and there's many reasons why at certain times one would want to uh, decline such invitations not of course all the time because it can be a great thing and great way of spreading the dhamma and sharing the dhamma and doing sharing goodness but um, yeah point is to avoid that at, at the time of keeping this Upasat that day, does that mean full moon day as well, or just half moon day? Uh, it's not the half moon day, full moon and empty moon. Okay, thank you. So the, the half moon is mentioned as well there. One each Upasata is the full and the empty moon. Then there are also the half moons, which are the eighth day of the of the lunar month, the eighth ascending and the eighth the eighth waxing and the eighth waning days. Right, yeah. This too has three grades. Herein one who is strict takes alms brought both from before and from behind. I don't remember what those mean. Maybe it will explain. And he gives the bowl to those who take it while he stands outside a door. He also takes alms brought to the refectory and given there. But he does not take alms by sitting and waiting for it to be brought later that day. The medium one takes it as well by sitting and waiting for it to be brought later that day. But he does not consent to it being brought the next day. The mild one consents to alms being brought on the next day and on the day after. Both these last miss the joy of an independent life. There is perhaps a preaching of the, on the noble one's heritage in some village. The strict one says to the others, let us go, friends, and listen to the Dhamma. One of them says, I have been made to sit and wait by a man, venerable sir. And the other, I have consented to receive alms tomorrow, venerable sir. So they are both losers. means they both lose. The other wanders for alms in the morning, and then he goes and savors the taste of the Dhamma. This happens a lot, actually. The, uh, even more so with invitations. When you've accepted an invitation, it can become very difficult as a monk because our lives can be very um, uncertain, impermanent, unstable. Things change, people come and see us, and many things happen. So having a set routine really actually can put a damper on your monastic life. And so as with... So this is why the alms round is so great, because you don't depend on anyone and no one depends on you. You go out, and if there's food available, wherever it's available, you take it, and that's it. Also, you go out in the morning and you've got your food for the day and that's it. You don't have to wait around for lunch or wait around for the time when people are... Nowadays, monks spend a lot of time waiting. Waiting for people to bring food, waiting for food to be ready, you know, sitting around, waiting in the car to go here, to go there. Homstrand simplifies that so much. I mean, I shouldn't really complain because lay people, of course, have it 
far worse in terms of schedules, but for a monastic, it's um, a big part of it is the alms round, keeping it quite simple. I'm not finished, am I? Where was I? Uh, you're at the moment, anyone? You're at the bottom of 28. The moment any one of these three agrees to the extra gain consisting of a meal given to the order, etc., his ascetic practice is broken. This is the breach in this instance. The benefits are these. He actually practices in conformity with the dependence because of the words. The going forth by depending on the eating of lumps of alms food. He is established in the second of the noble one's heritages. His existence is independent of others. It is a requisite recommended by the Blessed One thus, valueless, easy to get, blameless. Idleness is eliminated, livelihood is purified, the practice of the minor training rule of the Patimoka is fulfilled. He is not maintained by another, he helps others, pride is abandoned, craving for tastes is checked, the training precepts about eating as a group, substituting one meal, invitation for another, and good behavior are not contravened. His life conforms to the principles of fewness of wishes. He cultivates the right way. He has compassion for later generations. Richard, can you read 30? The monk contented with arms for food has independent livelihood, and greed in him no footing finds. He is, a, he is as free as the fourth wind, as the four winds. He never needs, he never need be indolent. His livelihood is in, is innocent. He so let a wise man not disdain um, arms gathering for his domain. Since it is, since it is said, if a bhikkhu can support himself on arms and live without another another's maintenance and pay no heed, as well as as well to gain and fame. The very gods indeed might envy him. Duty thirty-one. And this is a commentary on the undertaking, direction, grades, breach, and benefits in the case of the alms food eaters practice. It's funny; it actually rhymes. No, they're they're very good at <laughs> making these old uh, Pali poems rhyme in English. Do we want to maybe stop there? It's been an hour, or how are we feeling? Sure, we can stop there, or whatever everybody wants. I'm thinking um, probably we'll we'll see whether anyone wants to learn Pali, and so in the future we'll do one hour of Visuddhimagga and one hour of Pali. Oh, that would be cool. Yeah, sure. That would be wonderful. Okay, well, let's stop there also because I think some people are missing this week and uh, probably have a bigger group once we get more, get back into our schedule. But then we'll do one hour of Visuddhimagga and then followed by one hour of Pali. Does that sound reasonable? Yeah, that sounds very good. Yes, sir. <laughs> maybe yes, awesome. Maybe with a half-hour break in between. Is that a good idea? All right. Or would we lose everyone in that half hour? Do you want to make it maybe 15 minutes? Just enough to go use sure. the bathroom and yeah. grab a glass of water? Yeah, that makes, that makes more sense. Okay, we'll, we'll try and aim for that next week, and I'll put some... Uh, maybe we can expand the group, the Facebook group, to talk to just be a study group, and then I'll put some not notices out and see whether people want to learn it. Sure. Did you want me to change the name of the group? Yeah, let's just call it the study group then. That sounds good. And then, you know, whatever people are interested in and whatever's decided, it kind of works for all, all study purposes. Yeah.
Sounds good to me. Thank you, Bante. Okay, thank you, Bante. Thank, thank you all for coming. It's been thank you, Bante. Good, good session. Yeah, we'll see y'all next week. Thank you. Bye. All right, take care. Take care. Bye, everyone. Thank you. And this is being recorded, so it will be on our website within the day. Wonderful. Thank you.